welcome to the Layer 8 Podcast Season 3, culminating with the Layer 8 Conference on Saturday, October 8th in Providence, Rhode Island. This season, we'll have conversations with social engineers and OSINT investigators who will tell their stories. We hope you enjoy them. Welcome to this episode of the Layer 8 Podcast. We are back again for Season 3, and we have a really fun guest for you today. We have Lemon. Welcome, Lemon. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for joining. Hey, for the benefit of our listeners, can you give a little bit of an overview about who you are? Yeah, my name is Andrew Lemon, or affectionately as everyone calls me, just Lemon. I'm the principal security engineer for, uh, used to be a small boutique, now we've gotten pretty big, pen testing firm called Alias. And my whole job is to design uh, ta- techniques, tactics, and procedures uh, for our security team that we can use. So new, interesting ways to hack and break things. Um, we do forensics and incident response, but the majority of our work is auditing and pen testing. Well, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. And I think one of the first things that I had seen from you was a presentation that you gave on the social engineers toolkit, uh, which I think was basically a lot of the different things that you use during these social engineering engagements. What, uh, what kind of gave you the idea to put together that presentation? I've always looked at social engineering and most presentations as there's kind of like a man behind a curtain or there's some mystique or some magic. There's some technique that it's kind of this forbidden art. And I wanted to show people that it's not this forbidden art and that it's not some witchcraft and wizardry that anyone can use these tools and do these things. And that I'm not the best social engineer. I'm not even great at being social with people. Just that these things are out there and most people don't understand the anatomy of an attack. Like, yeah, you got social engineered, but how I wanted to go start to finish to kind of pull the curtain back and let people see that this isn't something that requires tons of technical know-how or background. It's just a few simple things to set up and then execute effectively. And is that presentation publicly available for others to see? Yeah, that's actually available on my YouTube channel. Oh, where is your YouTube channel? It will be limited up. So if you search for limited up or you search for Andrew Lemon, uh, it should be one of the first hits. And that talk is from AFCEA 2021. Oh, that'll be awesome. What are some of the tools that you even talk about in there? Like, what do you like to have in your toolkit? The primary tool that I use is DNS dumpster. Uh, I could go forever about DNS subdomain enumeration. Subdomain enumeration will give you everything you need about a company. And it is my primary tool and it should be everyone's. So with DNS enumeration, you can get everything from an MX record to see what mail clients people use, an SPF record to see which mail servers are online, what mail servers can send on behalf of, say, is it SendGrid or Mimecast? And then you can get things like this is our VPN because we have remote or VPN at companyname.com or MFA. People will have things like duo at companyname.com. So it's interesting to be on a call with a customer and say, are you guys still using Proofpoint? Okay, great. I see you've got two on-site exchange servers. Is that still there? And there's a ton of OSINT to actually be pulled just from a DNS record. So you're really talking about using OSINT before a social engineering engagement as a very important tool to your social engineering. Yeah, I actually, I use a ton of it just on the scoping calls. A lot of people don't realize just what their network exposure is. And I can say, I see you have two slash 27 subnets, do you still have two sites? And then how many IPs are we looking at in Azure? So it's a great way to even just be able to help scope. And it kind of blows the customer away right away, especially if they're not super technical. 
you've probably had some instances where you uh, did blow the customer away during that kickoff call with being able to find things during OSINT. Is there anything really fun that you'd want to tell anybody about that you've seen with that? Uh, I've come across a few vulnerabilities and pointed them out to customers ahead of time. Uh, said, hey, I can solve your whole pen test now. Uh, looks like you've got half Neom on an exchange server. Um, I can drop in a BDA if you'd like. That's been an interesting one. But uh, for the most part, it's just uh, generally leading them along the way and helping them out. Let's back up a little bit. What is your background and how did you get into social engineering? Uh, my background is uh, network administration. I started out as a Unix admin 10 years ago. Uh, it was right about the time that everyone that knew Unix was retiring. And I got in on the ground floor. They didn't know what to pay us. So they just said, we'll pay you half what we paid the guys that have been doing this for 40 years. And life was good. Um, got bored with it and took a pay cut to move over into virtualization, mastered virtualization. I worked for Dell and Dell is a great organization for their technical side, especially when you get into like the enterprise side, they will just throw training at you. And so I trained up everything from servers to switches. They call it the drinking from the fire hose phase where it's a week long training. And that was a good way to kind of get a base. And I moved into some bigger organizations doing security work, uh, doing network admin. Some of the best advice that I'll give to someone is every time that you start a new job, just do what you want to do. So every job that I've started, I just moved into the role. If you're an exchange guy and you go in and you immediately log in the exchange server and you fix things, you're going to be the exchange guy at your new office versus where every time I came in, I was the network security guy or, hey, I was the guy that knew this tool. Um, that way I could establish myself as, hey, I'm the guy that's going to test if this vulnerability works. And I was able to fake it enough or say, hey, I want to set phishing. I was able to fake that enough until someone finally said, you're the guy. And so it's been a, a nice journey. I worked for Inspire Brands and got access to a ton of really awesome security tools. We had a great budget, a great team and a great program that let me get access to an incredible tool set that most people wouldn't. And I think that's a lot of fun that you mentioned, just log in and fix things, and then you're going to eventually become the person. But I would think if you kind of log in for the first time and you start breaking things, that's going to be a, a whole different education with having to learn how to fix things real, real quick. Uh, that's correct. Uh, thankfully, the last major outage that I caused was, I think, in 2011, and I shut down a production line for an airplane manufacturer. But uh, that, I learned my lesson there, and uh, I haven't done it since, thankfully. It seems like everybody that's been around for some amount of time has their own fail story. Everyone's done something wrong, and it often seems like people who are starting out in the industry are afraid to make a mistake, afraid to, to do something wrong, where you hear from these people that have been around for a while, it's like, oh yeah, I've shut down the manufacturing line. Or for myself at one company, I overwrote the company's homepage with my own webpage, which you know, got the, the system administrators screaming for a few minutes and meant that I lost pseudo rights to the web server for a while. But yeah, I, I think it's kind of fun to hear the stories about how People who have this experience also did bad things accidentally, and it's really how we learn. I'm, I'm a big proponent of jump first and build your wings on the way down. Uh, that's how a lot of people get better. That's how you get better. If you stay within your comfort zone, you're never going to grow. When you're starting out on a social engineering engagement, 
about how much of the full engagement, I don't know how much time you usually have, whether it's five days, two weeks, a month, or anything like that, but about what percentage of the time do you think that you are spending on OSINT and how much actually doing the social engineering itself? It really depends on what kind of pretext I'm going in with. If it's a just a vishing engagement, I'm going to do just uh, enough digging. If it's a full red team, it really depends on, I guess, the length of the engagement. If it's a red team and I've got two or three months to complete it, I'm going to put a ton of work into OSINT all the way down to LinkedIn. And I'm going to go as far as getting individuals like maiden names or mother's maiden name, maybe the name of their dog. I'll go that far versus if it's just a phishing email, I may do a cursory glance, figure out how things are going to work and then build my pretext off of that. And so it could be anywhere from maybe an hour of OSINT to maybe a week worth. So when you're deciding on that pretext, what types of things are you uh, looking for or how do you decide on what pretext to use? Because when I talk to some people, it seems like they have their tried and true pretext. So they almost kind of go into the engagement thinking, I'm going to do this pretext and then make everything fit around that. Or do you let the OSINT guide you to the pretext or even let the flags guide you to the pretext? For physical engagements, I've actually moved away from actually even pretexting. Most of the time, I just roll in as I am. But there's an important thing when you're, of course, doing physical engagements. Are you testing controls? Are you testing people? And so when we're testing people, we make sure to kind of have a three-tiered approach. We have a high, a medium, and a low, where we have a high-skilled attack that he's done all the homework and he has the right pretext. So when we're picking our pretext, normally we're going to try to be the IT guy. Uh, but we may have someone not technical that's actually going to be joining us on this. So we get a non-technical pretext for him. It's more what's in your lane. You should stay in your lane and know how to play the part of the person you're pretending to be and do what's comfortable for you. And then for like our medium skill attack where the guy just kind of looks okay, he maybe doesn't have to pass so much scrutiny. So we're not going to let him do as much just so that we can kind of give the client a win. It's a good way to kind of structure and say, hey, you were good at blocking the known attack, the kind of unknown kind of known attack you did great at. And the guy off the street, he just walked everywhere and no one said anything to him. Those are always the the interesting ones that seem to blow people away when you tell them, I just walked in off the street and I walked into the building. Nobody said a word and knocked on the on the data center door and they let me in. Does that actually happen in your experience? Uh, More often than not. uh, Most of the time I'm I've left a presentation wearing a shirt that has my company logo on it. I walked into a bank and within four minutes had hands on a terminal as a domain admin. It's very common. Uh, Most of the time, I'm usually four minutes to either elevated access or domain admin or in a data center closet. Yeah, it's not uncommon at all. At this point, it's kind of just a laugh. We take a selfie, we send it around to the team, and uh, we've started trying to make a bet to see who can kind of get in the fastest. Have you also had any clients or customers that were particularly difficult where you did get shut down just about every single time that you tried until eventually you figured out the right way to get in? Yeah, we had a a good solid pretext. Uh, We had a guy that actually did HVAC for a living prior to working for our company. And so he went in saying, hey, I'm having some issues with your chillers. They reported this. Unfortunately, the security guard Uh, His dad worked construction. He worked construction with his dad. And so he immediately knew that they didn't have those kind of chillers at the facility, which was uh, unfortunate for us. 
And then they, at that point, security was tipped off. So it was a, it really didn't matter what we did. We were kind of out of luck. Uh, eventually, though, the win for that one was let the heat die down. We copied a badge and looked the, looked the part and then had a clone badge that had the gra- right graphic on it. And we we're able to get to our goal. So it's just a matter of trying another day with another security guard. Sometimes people believe that we need to have like all the same tools that you see in like Ocean's Eleven and all the, the fancy gadgets. Do you go in with all of those types of fancy gadgets as well? Or do you have those and low tech things? Like what are some of the, the types of things that you might bring to an engagement? So our, we have a, a full entry kit with our engineers that have backpacks, usually the underdoor tool. That's common. I will, if I'm carrying a backpack, I'll carry that. But for the most part, I carry a number two pencil, a ballpoint pen, and a traveler's hook, and some common keys and lock picks. And the most important tool there is the ballpoint pen or the uh, number two pencil. You lean that up against the crack in the door at the hinge side, and then when someone opens the door, it falls into the gap, leaving the door open. That's my favorite tool. It's gotten me into more places than any of other tool. And then, of course, the underdoor tool is a, a godsend in and of itself, but Sometimes you're running low profile and you can't have it on you. How often do you actually do lock picking and what's your experience with trying that? For most people, I recommend don't ever lock pick on an engagement. I pick on most engagements because I've practiced enough. Uh, it's a different kind of practice. Instead of sitting around and practicing lock sport, you should practice under pressure. Um, and you'll find that it's a lot different than practicing at home. Uh, if you're worried about getting caught, I block pick on maybe every other engagement and I've had varied success. Most of the time when you're dealing with like a master keyed system, it's really easy to rake open a lock. But for us, it's usually faster to uh, bypass the door. The only time I'm going to lock pick is something where I can't clone a card. Uh, usually remote sites like radio sites or ISP sites where maybe they don't have on-site staff to let me in or I can't use a bypass tool. And just for the benefit of listeners that aren't as familiar with lock picking, uh, you referred to just raking the lock. What does that mean? Correct. So instead of there's single pin picking, if there are five pins in a lock, instead of trying to individually manipulate the, the pins to get them to lock up on the shear line and then open the lock, raking is the act of kind of brute forcing a lock and taking, it's called a city rake. It looks just like a regular key, just cut down a little bit. And you run it back and forth through the lock and hope that you set the pins. And for the most part, it's pretty reliable. You also mentioned early on in our conversation here that uh, you're sometimes not even a big fan of being social, not really liking people too much, which is always interesting coming from a social engineer, somebody that needs to be social. But also in your presentation, one of the things that I remember that you talked about is that you enjoy magic. Why was it that you picked up magic and learned tricks? Uh, It's an interesting story. Uh, Basically, I got out of a long relationship and I realized that I had no idea how to talk to really anyone, but especially women. And so I thought, I'll learn magic. That's the best way to meet women. Um, I was successful. That's how I met my wife, uh, doing magic tricks for her. So uh, it worked. I've kind of strayed away from it, but it was interesting to see the overlap of social engineering and magic. And I've incorporated a lot of the principles from magic into social engineering, things like using a big action to cover a small action. So like sending in one of our poor interns into a bank to drop his change jar full of glass and it shatters everywhere. 
which is a big action, which covers me hitting a door in the back with a tool and then getting into, say, the vault. And have you ever actually used magic during an engagement or sleight of hand? I've used some sleight of uh, hand, which is palming things away or uh, getting access to things. It's really easy to distract someone and get them over here and then, say, clone a badge over here. Uh, or set something on top of something to then pick it up. There are a lot of pickpocket techniques you can pick up from like Apollo Robbins, where you can distract someone with a bunch of paperwork to then get a proxmark close enough to clone a badge. And even though this podcast is just audio, so you can't really show people any of the uh, tricks that you knew or any of the sleight of hand, what were some of the types of tricks that you would learn to meet people or talk to people? Uh, usually I, I like to do things that were one ahead. So I got really good at reverse pickpocketing people. So I would walk around the establishment that I was in, uh, my preferred place to hang out was hookah bars back then. And so ahead of people, like ahead of time of meeting people, I would say plant a card. And then an hour or two hours later, when I walked up to them, I would tell them to pick a card. They would pick the card that was in their pocket, not knowing it because I forced the card and then you have someone that's across a table with no way to get to them that pulls a card out of their pocket in kind of an impossible position. So learning that one ahead principle where if you can set a few things in motion that then tie the story back together, it actually looks like magic. So I think you just probably gave away one of the, the magic tricks, I, I think, where you said that you force the card on the person. So is it that you let them think that they are choosing one of the 52 cards, but because you're doing the sleight of hand, you are actually choosing the card for them. Yeah. And that's uh, it's called the magician's force. And you can actually use that in OSINT where you say, okay, uh, we've got the option for a push or an email and I want them to get a push and they'll say, okay, email. I'm like, great. Uh, I'm going to go and send that push then, or I'll go and send that through email. It didn't go through. Here's the push. Uh, so I've used a lot of those tricks to kind of move people around to do the things that I want to do. One of the other things that I think people really like to listen to this podcast for is some of the stories on social engineering. You, you've alluded to some of the stories of your engagements. Have you had some that you think would be particularly fun or interesting that you'd like to tell people or? Yeah, I've got a few. We do a ton of work in banking. And so the two of them will be banking stories. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, an engagement. It was a physical engagement. Our job was just to go in and see how far we could get. And it was really to test the individuals and less so the controls. So not a lot of breaking in this time, more heavy on what can we find externally and how can we exploit the people? So I, I mentioned DNS dumpster. That's something that is our go-to. We always use DNS dumpster. From DNS dumpster, I was able to determine the company used a certain provider for all of their banking. And so my pretext was that of working for this IT banking support company. We had another engineer that I brought with us. He's actually our technical writer, but he is not an engineer. So he's not ready to do IT. He more grades our papers and tells us how to bolster our reports. And so I knew that if I gave him something that was technical related, someone would see right through him. But this company was very proud of, well, we started with looking up the building for the, the bank. And it was built, we looked on a site called Empress, which is a site all about buildings. It gives you all the information from start to finish on the architect, everything. So we found the architect for this building. And then we go to the architect's website and architects are very vain and they love posting pictures. So we started looking at pictures and we saw that this architectural firm also did interior design. 
And so that was my pretext for other engineer was, do you have a digital camera? And he's like, yep. Hey, okay, you're super nervous, aren't you? And he's like, yes. So the street name also coincides with a middle of nowhere town in Oklahoma. And so I said, your pretext is you woke up this morning, drove all the way to middle of nowhere town, two hours away, you're running late and you're flustered. And I created a badge for him and I sent him in with a camera and I gave him the pretext of you just walk around and you take pictures. And so he was able to get in, take pictures of the lobby and the bank, get behind the teller line, take all of his pictures, get up to the customer's floor, get into the executive suite and say, oh, we need to change this. We want to add marble and bronze. And he really sold it. And that was a, a good way that we actually got in. For myself, I was able to wander in through a door, plug in a drop bot, and then wander all through the site. Once I actually got, I let myself into the lobby from the customer's controlled area and the reception asked if she could help me. And I said, oh yeah, um, yeah, I'm here helping Matt with IT. And she said, Matt, I said, yeah. She's like, we don't have a Matt. I said, oh, hold on, I'm sorry. And I show her my badge, I'm with company name. Uh, let me find my email so I can see, sorry, I'm new. And I'm scrolling through. I said, man, there's so much marble in here. I can't get any cell phone signal. I said, I'm sorry. Hold on. She's like, it's okay, sweetie. And I said, do you have Wi-Fi? I said, yes, we've got Wi-Fi. I said, great. Well, um, can I have the Wi-Fi password? She gives me the Wi-Fi password. I quickly go to LinkedIn, pull up their IT guy's name and say, it was Mark, not Matt. I'm sorry. She said, okay, Mark, that makes sense. All right. And so I go about my way and continue to plug things in. Immediately after this, we left and went to a second site and repeated the same process. Uh, it was a smaller branch of the bank. But the great thing here was I walked up to the tellers, identified myself as employee of bank company and said I need behind the teller line. And I was able to plug in our Raspberry Pis as well as our Shark Jacks. And then, okay, can I see the vault? Make sure there's nothing there. Okay. And I start wandering around. This bank does a lot of... Uh, very specialized transactions and therefore has some very specialized hardware like HSMs and vaults that are digital. And I could hear the server room, but I couldn't necessarily find it. And I get to the server room and there's an employee standing directly or sitting directly in front of the door on their phone. And so I try my badge. Of course, it doesn't work. I identify myself to employee, say, hey, I'm checking a few things here. Do you have access to this closet? And he says, no, I don't do that kind of stuff. And so I make a pretend call to my boss and say, I'm here. I just drove two hours. It's locked. And my boss says, is there any IT people on staff? Well, no. And I say, I've got my tools on me. Are you okay with me using my tools? My boss says, yes, just make sure you note it in the ticket. So it's a prearranged call with a colleague that knows the, the drill. And so directly in front of this employee, I pull my underdoor tool out, snake the door, get into this very secure area and spend close to 20 minutes in there uh, before leaving without any incident. That's great. The way that you're able to, to make them actually believe that you are talking to the, the right people and, and get that permission. Have you thought about if you were to flip around that engagement, where were some of the points where your client could have stopped you? Where were some of the ways that you could educate them to have stopped you during that engagement? Yeah. And that's where we like to go back and actually educate the client and say, this is what was done wrong. A lot of times we stack the deck in our favor. So when I go into an establishment, I'm going to talk to a teller and I'm going to say, yeah, so-and-so is supposed to be here, knowing full well that the bank manager is busy or out. 
And so that's where it's their job to say, this is our process. But a lot of places haven't instilled any kind of power in their employees. So a lot of times I'll say, you need to set a cultural shift. If someone doesn't identify themselves with their badge and they don't follow this process, you don't let them in. It doesn't matter how helpful we want to be. This is the reason why we don't do this. And so I mentioned to the customer first, make sure that all your doors are closed, make sure that someone doesn't get to tailgate, but also validate. Uh, you can trust, but verify everything. That lady should have verified who I was before giving me a Wi-Fi password. The teller should have verified me before I signed, uh, before I was allowed behind the teller line. And they probably should have looked at the sign-in sheet because I signed in as my actual name with my company, with the reason of my visit was actually pen test. And that's something that I like to throw in there just so that I can show if you validated this, is someone actually looking? I like to give people the opportunity to catch me. How often do you get nervous during some of these engagements? Are you often nervous either during vishing or red teaming going on site? And if so, how do you deal with that? It's a different kind of nervousness. If there wasn't that excitement, there's a reason why I do what I do. I could make exponentially more money doing ransomware incident response. I do this because it's the, the one thing that gets me going. It's just exciting to me. So it's an excitement, but it isn't so much a nervousness. At this point, it's kind of a Tuesday for me. But there are things that I do typically when I get into an organization for the first time, like the, the first step when I get into a place is I immediately find a bathroom. And that's just a, okay, let the adrenaline come down, make sure that your voice is good. And it kind of gets you out of that fight or flight mode so much. You can kind of relax, take a breath and then say, okay, no one saw you. And I have my pep talk where I say, you're excited because you know, you're not supposed to be here. No one else does. And so working with that, and that's advice I give to all of our engineers is step one, find a bathroom. Step two, relax. The only person that knows you're not supposed to be here is you. So don't let them know that as well. And I would also think that if somebody there sees a person coming out of the bathroom, well, they're obviously supposed to be here. Right. I have yet to have a confrontation in the bathroom or coming out of the bathroom. So, and that's where uh, another great trick to, I guess, disarm people is ask, hey, excuse me, do you know where the bathroom is? Uh, building rapport, because that completely changes how someone's going to interact with you. Someone's going to be confrontational. If you greet them first, then you have created a new feedback loop. You've interrupted their initial thought with, hey, or if I think someone's going to confront me, I say, do you know what time it is? And then that kind of gets them off into a different place other than confronting you. And they'll say like, oh, it's 1130. If I know they're confrontational, I'm like, oh, crap, I've got to be out of here. And then you're out the door. And I think that's also a great example of ways that we kind of build rapport with people. Have you had any kind of uh, great instances where you have uh, been able to successfully build rapport with anybody or even the opposite, where you've tried just about everything that you can and there just was no getting over with that person? I've pretty much found that people polarize you almost instantaneously. So if I'm doing a vishing call, I can tell you within the first 30 seconds if it's going to go well or if it's going to go bad. Uh, you can usually start my spiel and someone either hangs up on me or they immediately challenge me. And then if I say, hey, I'm Andrew from IT and I'm calling about uh, your mail. Is your mail rank so like, oh, my mail is always slow. I can instantly pivot that into build rapport. And that's something that I found that's been a, a good skill to have is instantly polarizing myself and knowing that if someone is on to me, I'll start with something simple. Maybe I won't go through my full fishing engagement. I'll say, this is Andrew from IT. 
I'm just calling to see if you got the new software update. So kind of piecemealing together from a few people, I'll say, do you have the green shield or the red shield? Or do you have the purple M in your toolbar? And they'll say, I've got the green shield. Like, okay, perfect. You've got that. That's all I needed. Thanks so much. And then I move on to the next person and you can kind of chunk up and build a lot of information from tiny microtransactions. One of the other things that I, I remember seeing in your presentation uh, was even some of the, the clothing that you had. It seems very common with social engineers that you can get pretty far with a hard hat and a high-vis vest. Is that something that you use a lot? It's kind of like those old movies where you see the guy kind of acquiring things on site. Uh, most of the time as I'm walking through, I'm snagging some fire-resistant clothing and a hard hat um, or trying to fit the build if that's steel-toed shoes or maybe uh, safety glasses. I make sure to look the part, and that's where the OSINT ahead of time comes in. I know that if I'm breaking into a law firm that I likely need to be in a suit or a polo versus if you have a company culture of jeans, any guy that comes in and dockers and chinos uh, and maybe some Doc Martens is definitely going to stand out. You want to be as gray as possible. Uh, one of my favorite tricks is thrift stores close to the business, especially big businesses. Uh, anytime where we can go to a thrift store nearby, you find things like company barbecue 2018, right? And if you know you're going in on a Friday, that's a casual Friday and you wear a shirt that says company name or company name barbecue 2018, no one's going to question you. Only someone that belongs there is going to have that shirt. Right. Why would somebody have that shirt who doesn't work there? But we make sure that we include all of our props. When we go in as an HVAC technician, we make sure that we have our gauges. When we go as an ISP, we always have a box with an AT&T return logo on it. Uh, just having all of your ducks in a row so that you look the part. Because again, most people are polarized instantaneously. Most of your communication is nonverbal. And you don't even have to social engineer if you just look the part. I'm really good at just looking antisocial and like I belong in places and I just wander through. And usually it's a great way that I haven't had to interact with people. And what do you use if somebody do, does want to stop you and confront you? Like how hard are you going to push and what direction do you often go with that? And how far will you go until you actually have to then pull out the permission letter? Most of the time I will, depending on what the client wants, there are engagements where I'm told to push until you are removed from the premises. And that's something I've done in the past where most of the time it's not people confronting me. Most of the time I get in, I get my big win and I say, well, crap, I can't just deliver a report that says I got to your data center in three and a half minutes and had hands on a keyboard. I actually go out and start looking for confrontation. So I will find an employee and say, do you know where the server room is? And I give people that opportunity to challenge me. And then I may know that they use a certain IT vendor. I will purposely throw out an incorrect vendor and say, I'm with this vendor, knowing full well that they do business with them to, again, give someone a chance to challenge me. And then I will try to wander off. Hey, I'm, yeah, I'm here with uh, IT vendor A, and I'm here to see your boss at this time. I've got to get this knocked out. Can you let me in the server room? And of course, they'll try to call their boss. The boss never answers because I know that he's at lunch because I've done all the homework ahead of time. But I'll say, it's fine. Uh, I'll just wait for him in the lobby and I go wander off. The correct thing for the customer to do there or the person I'm social engineering is to escort me all the way to the lobby. Because right after I leave their line of sight, I immediately go try to do something that's going to get me in trouble. And then I try to get them to confront me again. And we have a joke about the RJ45 click herd around the, the world where I broke into a bank, actually just walked in, walked up the stairs, 
walked into my point of contact's office. He left his computer unlocked. Um, and I left a nice message saying, Hey, Andrew was here, added myself as a domain admin because he had Active Directory users computers installed on his local desktop. And then again, started looking for someone to interact with. And it was that exact exchange. And then I went into a, a boardroom and started plugging things in. And I had the first guy come in and say, hey, you shouldn't be in here. What are you doing? I said, I'm just doing this work. I just need to knock this out real fast. And he's like, you shouldn't do that. And I say, absolutely right. I shouldn't. I like to push, push, push because he's absolutely right. I shouldn't be doing this, but who's going to stop me? And so he goes to his next point of escalation, which was the IT guy. And the IT guy comes in and says, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. And I say, oh yeah, sorry. Is this VLAN off? And I'm saying, I'm waiting for the jack to, I'm waiting for my shark jack to turn purple. I said, okay, great. It pulled an IP address. And he's like, yeah, you shouldn't plug things in. And I say, absolutely. I hate when people come in and mess with my network when I was an admin and I unplug it and I plug it in another port and I just keep talking to him until he says, no, you have to stop. You have to leave. And I see his body language go from afraid where he was in flight mode to now he's clenched fist in fight mode. And I'm like, maybe I should back down. <laughs> and that's the point where I go down to the lobby. And of course, I wait and I make sure, is he watching me? And then I start again. Uh, I tried and tried and tried and could not get thrown out of this establishment. <laughs> Have you had an instance where you do get actually physically removed, where somebody puts their hands on you? I have not been physically removed uh, with physical hands-on. I've pulled the get out of jail free card before that. I did have an instance where we were at a, it was a large bank in a really small town. So the, it served as the bank for the whole community. So it was a big bank, but small town. And it was just the height of the pandemic. And the politics there were such that no one was wearing a mask, but we had gotten in, we'd done all of our work and we were looking for our point of contact at that time. And the security guard who used to be former sheriff of the town and is now in his sixties comes out of the bathroom and he immediately spots us as uh, we don't belong. And we've got our masks on. He said, are you boys looking for something? And he had his hand on his revolver as he was talking to us. And so I immediately did not pass go, didn't try any social engineering. I immediately said, I am here seeing ex customer. Um, this is my letter that says I'm supposed to be here uh, because I did not want to win that one. <laughs> Have you tried the, the the fake permission letter? I've not, uh, only because I feel like if I'm to the point of pulling out the letter, I've already lost. I do like that as a tactic, but I haven't run into that as a problem. Most of the time we're in and out and I've only used my get out of jail free card in uh, two instances. So out of, I don't know. 40 or 50. Wow. That, that's pretty great. And how often have you actually encountered guns? Have you actually tried to get into a armed facility? It's very common for us to get into places that have barbed wire and security. Uh, the only time that I've ever actually been staring down the barrel of a gun was not in my life as a pen tester. I was actually an exterminator and there was a cash depository so my job was to spray the outside because I didn't have the clearance to spray the inside. But I found an open door and was walking around the shop portion of this cash depository, um, which led to a few people coming to me and having guns on me. That's the only time I've actually uh, <laughs> stared down the barrel of a gun in this line or in any line of work. And it was completely unrelated. But it is hilarious that I was actually legitimately playing an exterminator 
as my job and actually had a confrontation. That's great that you actually have experience as an exterminator, because I've heard that that's another common pretext that people can use to, you know, get around the building, get information on the outside, and then even also get inside because who's going to stop the exterminator? Like nobody wants bugs. Exactly. What advice do you give to people that are trying to get to where you are today? Uh, Start with just doing Uh, whatever it is, just do it and get to the spot. So the first part of getting the spot is interacting with the people that do the job that you want to do. Um, But more so than that, it's just practice wherever you can. Um, Anywhere where you're not required to use your legal name, don't. Uh, If you're at IHOP, say your name's Andreas. If you are sitting in line somewhere that it doesn't matter, make up a fake name. I answer every phone call that comes to my phone. I absolutely love talking to scammers. And my goal is to see how long can I keep them on the line? How far can I take them? And that's a great way to start practicing your social engineering. I'll go as far as spinning up a virtual machine in Snap Labs, allow them access to that, and then create a fake credit card with privacy to give them a 99 cent credit card to then try to make a charge against, just to see how long and how far I can take that. Uh, That's some advice that I do, but also just get out there and present. You don't have to be the expert. Learn a few things and go talk at places. You can talk at a technical school about the things that you do. And again, just do what you want to do. And eventually people are going to let you do it. So ask if you can organize a phishing campaign with your work. Ask if you can make vishing calls. Say, hey, I'd love to test this. Ask if I can check the door controls. A lot of places aren't going to push you. And any organization worth its salt is going to help you grow as an individual and let you try those things. And I think that's great that you also had advice on how to practice, because that seems to be another very common question that people ask, like, how can I practice social engineering? Because I I think all too often in people's heads, they're thinking of the social engineering as breaking into buildings or sending out legitimate phishing emails or making some of those phishing calls. But I like that you had some advice on how that people can legitimately practice, which sounds as though you're saying, just do it or answer those scam calls and see if you can reverse engineer those people. I guess the other, it could be learn magic. Uh, That could be the other one. It taught me to learn how to read people. You could instantaneously know uh, if a group of people liked you or not, if you need to do a simple trick and get away, or if you need to, you know, kind of do more there, but it teaches you to interact with people and put yourself on autopilot while you're doing the technical dirty work. So you can talk through and explain that you're doing one thing while doing another thing. But it's also a good lesson in uh, putting people or um, I wouldn't say manipulating people, but getting in with people. I would find instances where there was a a nice woman that I'd want to talk to and she had wanted nothing to do with me. And so I would find another group of people that looked like they were going to have fun. And everyone has FOMO, that fear of missing out. And so I would just have this group rolling with laughter. And the group that initially wanted nothing to do with me is now like, hey, come over, come sit with us, come talk to us. Uh, So just a kind of learning how to engage people or prey on their fear of missing out is another good skill to have. I think that's also great advice. Another of the things that you mentioned or that I uh, noticed while you were talking is it seems as though during your pretexts, you often stick very close to who you are. You mentioned that you often will use your own real first name because 
I think too often people think that they need to be like this imaginary person and make up everything about this character, but then maybe lose track of all the details as they're going through. Is that something that's gone through your consideration or why do you try to keep it as close to who you really are? Uh, I found that the worst thing to do to blow your cover is someone saying, Hey, Andrew, and like, no, I'm Tom today. And so I tell all of our engineers, we all use our real first names on engagements and sometimes even our last names. So I think it's important to one, stay who you are, but you can't cram for a social engineering engagement. You can have a few notes, but you can't cram a whole backstory unless you've practiced this whole world building and you have a whole second persona built around yourself. Uh, you're not going to be able to remember all that on the fly. So I'm brutally honest. I will tell people my whole backstory up to where I work at Alias, or I will talk about, oh yeah, I used to do Unix administration. I will use what I know as a person to build rapport. And I try to stay pretty connected with the world. And I can talk to most people about most subjects. And so I found that there's an easy way to kind of talk to people. When I worked at a law firm, I'm not social and I don't know how sports work. And so I would start a conversation in the elevator with, did you catch that game last night? Because I know there's a game. And they would say, oh yeah, that this, this, and this happened. And I'm like, how about that Russell Westbrook? And they're like, oh man, Westbrook was absolutely killer. And then I would use that later in a conversation because they would say something like, can you believe Westbrook dropped 15 three-pointers? And so I would use that later on. So I guess that just having little bits of information and I guess staying true to who you are, but also leveraging people want to talk. People don't want your opinion. They want their opinion reverberated back to them. And so I asked someone else their opinion. They're like, oh, what do you think is HP servers? And get them talking and say, I use HP here. I was looking at Dell's. What do you think? And then that's the great thing about tech is technical people love to expound and love to talk. So if you can get a person talking tech and ask their opinion, uh, you can take them for a ride and you don't have to reveal anything about yourself. Yeah, I think that's great advice on social engineering as well, where you are doing listening and validating others and validating their thoughts and opinions as well. Plus, it does show that kind of thoughtfulness as well that so many people do just want to be heard. And here you are listening to what that person is saying and reflecting back some of the things that they've said, showing that you've heard what they've said. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes as far as your lady in accounting and saying, uh, building a whole thing with where do you go on vacation? How many kids do you have? Talk to me about your dog. And then, oh, hey, can you put your password in here? So yeah, I'm sorry I broke this. This is my fault. And you just, it's in between beats. Uh, with magic, uh, with music, everything's on time, right? With magic, everything is off beat, right? You don't want something to happen on a beat. So when you're asking someone for a password or to input something, you do it offbeat because it's completely missed in the grand scheme of the song. Yeah, you definitely don't want people having time to really think or leading them down the path that they're normally used to, which might be, no, I'm not going to give somebody my password. So you try to knock them off of that as well. Absolutely. So Andrew, you've had some great stories. And before we wrap this up, do you have any other fun stories for our listeners? Yeah, one more, maybe not a bank. Uh, this one was actually for a very large nonprofit. So it started as a fishing, fishing, social engineering engagement where we actually were able to grab credentials. But the end goal was, of course, to make entry to their server room on site. So as part of our phishing engagement, uh, we had a pretext of 
hey, you have your benefits are expiring soon, click here for open enrollment and log in with your credentials. And so we're able to get credentials, which we're then able to use to get VPN access. And then as this user, we're able to browse all these file shares and to start looking at some of the uh, financial records and some of the work invoices. And I can see different invoices and I was able to snag the director's signature. But more so than that, I was able to use Outlook Online and see the director's schedule. So I knew when she was going to launch with a very important benefactor, which allowed us to then kind of set our pretext of when we're showing up. So with that, I pretended to be a local uh, AV company that does a lot of access control and RFID. And I created a work order that looked like the standard work order from when they worked with this company previously, created a badge that looked the same. And then I copied the director's signature and put it at the bottom of this. And so I show up on site and I say, hey, I'm Andrew, I'm here to check door fitment, RFID, et cetera. And they say, oh, are you with ADT, our security company? They were just here yesterday. And I say, oh no, I'm just validating that. And they said, well, I need to go grab someone. And so when the next person they grab, they say, I say, hey, I'm here with AV installer. I'm just validating the work that ADT did yesterday. And they're like, okay, great. Well, we need to call, let's give her a name, Melanie, and validate you are who you say you are before we can let you in. I say, okay, great. No problem. I know Melanie's not answering her phone. I said, I'm in a rush. I've got to do some stuff. Do you care if I check the perimeter first? And then once you guys let me in, you can let me in once you validate me. And they say, yeah, absolutely fine. I said, so if you see a weird guy checking doors and stuff, that's just me. And they say, oh, no, perfect. So that gave me a pretext to walk all around this building, use bypass tools to actually make entry, get to where I needed to go, get the flag, and then come back to the main site, uh, the front door. And they say, well, we can't validate you, but we can escort you. And so I run through, and this is where I always say, know what you're doing, right? Now I have to pretend that I'm the RFID tech. So I should know RFID and how I'm checking it. So I went through and I checked all the doors and I checked the latch. I checked the lockup. I made some notes like, okay, you've got bad lockup here. I'm going to be sending a technician to fix this door. I say, okay, I need to get into the server room because I need to actually see the door controller and make sure that's configured correctly to make sure up to safe with like fire codes and your fail safes are in place and everything. And she said, well, I don't have access. Let me get someone that can. And so using her as a trusted resource to then get me access to the server room I've already had access to. But it's a kind of a, a good to have that two-pronged approach where, hey, I've already been here, walked all the way through, got access, but I continued my other side quest and completed that. That's a whole lot of fun being able to get around everywhere multiple times. Andrew Lemon, this has been a whole lot of fun talking with you on the Layer 8 podcast. And people can find you with Lemon It Up on your Twitter account, on your LinkedIn account, and your YouTube account. So hopefully people will check you out there. Thank you for joining us. This has been a whole lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Layer 8 Podcast. Please join us in Providence, Rhode Island on Saturday, October 8th for the fifth annual Layer 8 Conference. The Layer 8 Conference is a 501c3 nonprofit organization as designated by the 